As I've told you before, Karen loves me for, as you can imagine, countless reasons. Uh, I'm sure that it's hard for you to even imagine uh, how much she loves me and the, the plethora of reasons why. Shut the door. Be quiet. Um, Chinelo. Where's Chinelo? Where'd she go? She left. Oh, there she is. Chinelo probably knows why Karen loves me. One reason. Do you know? Do you know one of the reasons she loves me? You've probably heard me. You've probably heard me say this before. Uh, she loves me because I like romantic movies. So, how many of you guys will admit that you like romantic movies? Anne admits it. Uh, so does Andre. My favorite all-time romantic scene. Shibomi, do you remember? You've probably heard me tell this story. It's Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, the one with Kevin Costner in it. It's, it's a really old movie. Um, Robin is telling Lady Marion that the treachery of, of the Sheriff of Nottingham is widespread, and she must get word to her cousin, King Richard, about this treachery. And Lady Marion says, well, there are many spies everywhere, and, and it would be it would be treacherous to do this. And Robin says, will you do it for your king? And she looks him in the eye and the music comes up and she says, no, I'll do it for you. And she gives him a big kiss, right? And I know I can't reproduce it here, but there's all this romance going on, right? There's all this passion and, and, uh, and I absolutely love that scene. She says, I'll do it. I'll do it. For you, um, I mean, who doesn't love romance? I think something's wrong with you if you don't like romance, actually. I think something seriously is, is off and wrong with you if you do not like romance. There's a reason that romance resonates in every human heart. I mean, there's a reason that 85% of all the movies made in Hollywood have some aspect of romance in it, right? They're not stupid. Uh, they know how to make money. They know this resonates in the human heart. It's because God made us this way. God made us this way. He made us for intimacy, beauty, and adventure. These are the core attributes and characteristics of a true romance. You know how Jesus talked about his second coming. Do you remember? The bridegroom coming for whom? His bride? You remember how John talked about it in the Revelation. Remember he wrote this, Let us rejoice and be glad, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. That's Revelation 19.7. The Lamb's bride is the church. If you're a born-again believer, you are the bride of Christ. It's a sacred romance between God and His people. This is God's metaphor. It's not my metaphor. It's His metaphor. It's a marriage. And obviously, romance is involved. So, we're still talking about Psalm 117. Um, someone asked me this week, where are we going to go this week? What are we going to be fierce in this week, um, we're go I'm, going, I'm going to call you to be fierce in love. 
You, you can't really preach a sermon series like this and not come to this place. You have been called to be fierce in love. It's Psalm 117. Praise the Lord, all nations. Laud Him, all peoples, for His loving kindness is great toward us. The truth of the Lord is everlasting. Praise the Lord. We have been invited to come and enjoy God. It's part of the sacred romance. That's what we're talking about. It's a consummation of our joy in God. If we truly delight in God, God is saying, praise me, delight in me. Um, find your greatest joy and pleasure in me. I want, let me define fierce one more time, it's just so we, we're not confused. It means that in my praise, I'm intense about it. In the way I love God, I'm passionate about it. This is powerfully exhibited in my life. I'm strong in the Lord. This is what I'm saying when we're fierce in all of these different aspects of being a Christian. This is what I'm saying. Um, we are still teasing out all that 117 means. Here are some of the things we've talked about thus far. We're fierce in worship, fierce in obedience, fierce in persecution, fierce in expectation, fierce in holiness, fierce in giving, fierce in truth, fierce in prayer, last week fierce in our witness, and this week again. You, I couldn't leave this series without doing this one. Jesus has called you to be fierce in love. And we'll look at His words in just a moment. So that's, that's where we're going to go. You know what He told His disciples in the upper room, John 13, 34, and 35. He says, I give you a new commandment. What is it? You should go to church every Sunday. He says, I give you a new commandment. That you love one another, even as I have loved you. By this one thing, not your church going, not your do-gooding, not your memorization of Scripture, not your fasting and prayer. By this thing, men will know you belong to me. By this thing, by this all men will know that you are mine, that you love one another, right? So there it is. It's a new commandment. It's a new commandment from the Son. You are to love one another in such a way that the whole world can see it. You know, this is one historian's attribute the, the growth of, of Christianity to this aspect. The world saw the world saw the body of Christ loving each other. A uh, lot, of, lot of ink has been, has been spent on talking about that in the history of the church. So what was Jesus' response to the lawyer when he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Anybody remember? Jesus actually turned it on him and said, how does the law read? And the lawyer said what? That I am to love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength and love my neighbor as myself. You got to be fierce in love, man. <laughs> this is the, it's not just, it's not just New Testament, it's Old Testament, right? It's law. You got to love God supremely. And consequently, you'll know how to love your brothers and sisters, right? In a manner in which pleases God. Not some heart-dead, church-going 
religious kind of thing. But as we just talked about, passionate, intense, powerful, and strong. This is how I love God. And this is how I'm commanded to love God's people. God called us to love Him with every fiber of our being. You know, whether you're having a good day or a bad day, right? <laughs> you can love God. Does circumstance, does circumstance hinder you from loving God? Not really. I know that many of us would use it as an excuse. But circumstance doesn't hinder us from loving God. God has made us to be in relationship with Him. Again, sacred romance. Again, bridegroom and bride. This is the metaphor in the New Testament. It's the abundant life Jesus talked about. A life of, of being in love with the most captivating being in the cosmos. It's Psalm 117. A life in which we pursue the intimate beauty of God. We, we pursue the deep intimacy with Christ and we pursue an eternal adventure with Him. I mean, this is what eternity is going to be, right? Discovering God. Loving God, discovering God, loving God all the more, discovering more of God, loving God all the more, discovering more of God, loving God all the more. This is what eternity, it will take eternity for us to exhaust all that He is. C.S. Lewis talked about it like this. This is, this, this hunger for the sacred romance, I love these words, this is the incommunicable and unappeasable want, right? This is what every human being knows he needs but he, you know, the world at large is out there trying to fill this need with everything else in the world. An incommunicable, we don't even know how to talk about it. This need is so deep, we don't even know how to describe it. We were wired for God. We were wired for God. And if you set your heart on something else, you will be an unhappy, unfulfilled, ultimately, infinitely, and eternally frustrated individual. We don't even really know how to talk about it at the deepest level. Lewis is right. It's incommunicable. It's unappeasable. What does that mean? It's an unyielding desire, unquenchable desire. It's ravenous. It's insatiable. We must have God. We must have God. I say it to you all the time, but Ecclesiastes 3.11, Solomon wrote it. God has set eternity in our hearts and nothing else will satisfy. You know, again, I said Hollywood's not stupid. I think they're corrupt. I think... A lot of bad things about Hollywood. They can't get out of their own way. They have all this power for good, but they use it for evil. But they understand about human romance, so they idealize it and they idolize it. And you have hordes of particularly young women growing up idolizing romantic love, human romantic love which will never fill your soul. This is why so many marriages end in divorce. Your wife can't satisfy you ultimately. Your husband can't satisfy you ultimately. Only God can. 
Your children won't make you ultimately happy. Only God can. The family only works when God's in the middle. It's the only time that it will work. You remember Pilgrim's Progress and Vanity Fair and all these things that you could exchange your soul for. And one of, I just have to say this to you. You don't know that it really fits in the sermon anywhere. But, but there was one thing that you could exchange your soul for at Vanity Fair and Pilgrim's Progress. I love it. Fashionable religion. <laughs> don't you love that? You could give your soul away for fashionable religion. Fashionable religion. You know, not the real gospel. Fashionable religion. And there are millions of people doing that very thing, obviously in world religions, but I'm, I mean even in pseudo-Christianity circles, right? They, they like that fashionable Jesus. Not the one in the Bible, the other one that the world loves, right? And the world is, is happy to pay some level of respect to. Um, yeah, that fashionable, that fashionable Jesus. So, I hope you've learned the lesson. Most of us here are of some age. I think most of us would have learned this lesson that there's nothing in life that can satisfy us. Uh, only our Creator God uh, can do that. Only the sacred romance can do that. Uh, only Jesus Christ can do that. So, God has made us for Himself. He has made us to love Him. This is why God hates lukewarm Christianity. He hates it. It's an insult to Him. He has called you to love Him supremely. And you're lukewarm about that? Really? This is an insult to God. It's nothing less than a slap in the face to God. God has made it possible for you to love Him. He has reconciled you or offered reconciliation to you that you could, you know, through the blood of His Son, come to know and love Him. And then to say, well, yeah, I've appropriated the, the sacrifice of Christ, but, you know, I'm pretty excited about my job right now. I, my kids are, you know, they're more important to me than Jesus. Really? Really? Beloved? It's right to love your husband. It's, 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 it's good to, to, to you know, be committed to your work. It's, it's right to love your kids. But never supremely. Never supremely. Jesus hates. You know, if somebody's lukewarm, I would just say to them, don't come back until you can generate a little bit of excitement about who Christ is. You're only increasing your judgment by playing church and offending God, right? Offending God with your pious self-righteousness that means nothing to Him. In fact, He hates it. He hates self-righteousness. You remember the Old Testament, the people had left God and he called the universe. He said, be appalled and shudder, Jeremiah chapter 2. In Isaiah 29, he said, you know, these people just love me with their lips. Their hearts are far, far from me. They love their tradition. They love their rote religion. He loathes this. He hates this. He abominates this. What is the law? 
And what is the heart of Christianity? That we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Period. That's the call. That's the call. It's not I love God a little bit when I need Him, or I want a blessing, or I need to be healed, or I need a new job, or I've got a problem. <laughs> that's not what it's about. Again, I think that's offensive to God. All these people who just simply run to Him when they have some need, right? When they just want to use God. When they, when they just want to have some utility in who God is. I think this is an insult to Him. Above all else, the Christian life is a love affair. I know some theologians don't like this kind of language, but I love it. Because this is how I am with God. I don't know how you are. You might describe it in some, some different terms, but this is how I describe it. It is a sacred romance. That's what it is to me. I find him irresistible and fascinating beyond description. And I cannot get enough of him. Intimacy, beauty, and adventure. That's what it's like for me. So I laid all that groundwork to say this. If you do not love God... You cannot walk with Jesus. If you're merely a religious person, you cannot do what He's calling us to do in our text today. He's calling us to love Him and to love the brethren. You are to be fierce in this. Jesus says, love God and love the brethren. And then he quantifies what this looks like, right? <laughs> Again, as I just shared with you, John 13, 34, and 35. That you love each other how? Tell me. How are you, how are you supposed to love each other? Even as I have loved you. Okay, this is kind of big, right? How do we love our brothers, as Christ has loved us, this is huge. This, this is way beyond our ability, right? We know it. If we have any self-awareness, we know we can't do this. The only way we can do this is the overflow of Psalm 117. The only way, we, the only way I can do this is if I'm really praising God, Psalm 117, to the depth that He has commanded, which means I am enjoying God so much and loving God so much that it spills over onto my brothers. That's the only way you can do it. Listen, I've been doing this a long time. It's the only way it works. You, I remember my seminary professor, missions professor, he went to Brazil because he loved the Brazilians. He said, after six months, I didn't love any of them. If you don't love God, you don't have any, if you don't have this sacred romance going on, you don't have anything to offer anybody else. You can be religious. You can be knowledgeable. You can be politically correct. But you don't have anything of value to offer to anybody. That's just a reality. That is just a reality. Don't ever forget John 13, 34, and 35. Again, Jesus said, by this one thing, they will know you belong to me. It's a new commandment. The Old Testament was love your neighbor as yourself. This is infinitely beyond love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor, love your brother, right? He's talking about the church. Love your brother as I have loved you. How did Jesus love you? He bled out. 
you got to think about that for a little while, right? That's how he loved me. Does that give you some perspective on how you're to love? You're to love me, your brother. I'm to love you, my brother, my sister. I mean, you're either all in or you're just not in, man. I mean, this is how Jesus talks. It's how he talks. Yeah, it's radical. It's, he's the most radical person who ever lived. It is radical. It is impossible. Apart from the supernatural work of God in our lives. How did Jesus love us? Fiercely. John's in the upper room. And he's hearing this. And it changed him. And he never forgot it. So I want to I turn, if you would, if you turn with me to 1 John. It's the fifth book from the back of the Bible. We're just going to go through, hit a couple of verses, and we'll be done. This is the best place to see what it means, to see what that John 13 thing is, right? So, yeah, this is a good place to see that. First of all, I want to tell you, 1 John's the book of assurance. If you want to know if you're a Christian or not, you just go to 1 John. Um, this is what a Christian looks like. You should see your reflection in, in the mirror, uh, as in a mirror. As you read 1 John, you should see these things are real and true in your life. If they're not real and true in your life, you have cause to question your professed Christianity. So the Holy Spirit directs us to John, um, 1 John, and John writes this book of assurance, and he uses one word 50 times in five chapters. Who can guess what it might be? Love. Right? The book of assurance of what real Christianity looks like, 50 times, five chapters. He's using the word love. So I'm looking at 1 John 3.14. You can look there with me. 1 John 3.14. Listen to what we can know. 1 John 3.14. We know that we have passed out of death into life. How do we know that? Somebody tell me from your text. How do we know? How do we know we've passed out of death and into life? How do we know we're born again? How do we know we have a regenerate soul? How do we know? Someone tell me. What? You love the brothers. You love the brethren. This is a huge statement, right? When I call you to be fierce in love, man, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, it's just huge. The statement is huge. This is a huge statement. How do we know we're born again? We love the brethren. 1 John 3.14 tells us that's how we know we're for real. It's not because I have a perfect attendance at church and I have a gold star for scripture memorization. That's not it. I love my brothers and I love my sisters and it's so real in my life. People can tell I'm a Christian. It's not, it's not academic. It's not academic. This is the distinguishing mark of biblical Christianity. I like, <clears throat> I like Eugene Peterson's paraphrase. He says, this is how everyone will recognize you belong to me. This is how everyone will recognize it. Because you love your brothers and you love your sisters. So my goal tonight is to highlight this pervasive truth in 1 John. We're going to survey a few verses here. 
um, in this book of assurance, the this is what it looks like to be a Christian book. Okay, that's what first John is. The this is what it looks like to be a Christian book. Two main points. You probably already know what they are. The two main points in the book. That we will obey Christ. The true believer obeys Christ. And the true believer loves the brethren. This is, this is it. Obedience. There are some other issues. Two main points. I obey the Lord and I love His people. This is the two giant hallmarks of being a true Christian as revealed in 1 John. So we're just going to go through the book here and look at some of the verses. They'll speak for themselves. I won't have to talk a whole lot about it. Let's look back up real quick at 1 John 3, 10 and 11. 1 John 3, 10 and 11. By this the children of God and the children of, devil, of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness, which what? To obey. Anyone who does not obey is not of God. Then he says this, nor the one who does not love his brother. <laughs> you're not of God if you don't love the brethren. It's just you're playing a game. It's not true. It's not real. God loathes it. That you claim to be His and you do not love His people. Listen, there are, there are a lot of things that, 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 God, that God is wrathful about. And I think pseudo-Christianity has to be at the top of the list, right? Playing some dumb, heart-dead game with God has to be at the top of the list. It would be better for you not to play a game with God. If you can't relate, if you can't relate to these things, if you don't take this serious, it would be better for you not to just hang around. God means for His people to love Him and obey Him and to love His people. And I can, I can use the word, right? Fiercely. Probably that word fits better in this sermon than the rest of the sermons I've preached. It probably fits better right here. This is the call. This is the call. John continues, 3.11. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Look at John 1 John 3, 12 through 14. We don't love as Cain, who was of the evil one and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not marvel, brethren, if the world hates you. Then we'll just look at 14 again. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. We don't love as Cain. We're not like Cain. We actually love our brother, right? And don't marvel, you know, Cain, Cain is like the world. He hated, he hated his brother, right? I have, a, I have a great guy that posts on my Facebook page. Um, how does he say it? Hate is murder delayed. Hate is murder delayed. 
I think that's exactly right. So why do we have a camaraderie in the church? Because we are hated by it. Jesus said, the world has hated me. It will hate you. We don't belong here. The holiness and the righteousness that, that, you know, the, that comes off our lives, it, it convicts the world and they hate us for it. Listen, we not only love the brothers, we need the brothers, right? <laughs> I need you and you need me a lot because this is an alien world waging war on us. And if it's not overt, it's covert, right? Some of us in the parts of the world where we live, it's overt. Most of us in the West, it's covert. The waging war, the, the, the system is waging war on our souls every day. That's just part of the deal. Look at verse 16 through 18 here. 1 John 3. We know love by this, that he laid his life down for us, and we ought to lay our lives down for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and beholds his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. You see how Jesus is quantifying the call through his apostle here? He's quantifying the call. He says, lay your life down. Does that mean we're, we're to be martyred? Not most of us in here will never have the threat of physical death because of the testimony of our faith or because of the love of the church. That's not going to happen to, to probably any of us. What's he talking about? He's talking about laying your body down in service, giving your life away in service to the body, to the brethren. That's what he's talking about. Most of us and none of us in this room will likely ever have to be martyred for the kingdom. That's not really not the point here. The point is I love them and I serve them with my body, right? I serve them. With my body, we're to die to self for the brethren, right? We are to die to self for the brethren. What does it look like? It looks like service. It looks like support. It looks like nurturing, encouraging, building up, teaching, consoling, comforting, listening interceding, counseling, giving, sharing, meeting needs, and helping. That's what it looks like. You know, someone asked Karen a good question, and I've gotten this question uh, over the years. Well, what is there to do in this church? It's so small. If you don't play the guitar, what can you do? You can love the body. You can pray for the body every day. You can do a random act of kindness every day if you want to. You can do an encouraging SMS to someone. There's so many things you can do, <laughs> right? You can console, you can comfort, you can meet a need. You don't have to play the guitar to be useful here. Or the piano or whatever. There are many, many things that you can do. Actually, what's being said here is what? Verse 18. It's not about word and tongue. It's about deed and truth. Talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. <laughs> Talk is cheap is what is being said to us. 
Jesus says, you are to love one another as I have loved you. Jesus' love was unconditional. It was costly. It was selfless. It was sacrificial. It was fierce. It's a roll up your sleeves and go to work kind of love. It's a courageous and expensive kind of love. It's a blood, sweat, and tears kind of love. This is what Jesus has called us to. So in the balance of the message, I want to just touch on some other verses in 1 John where God is driving this point home. The way John writes in 1 John is he keeps coming back to the key points over and over. It's like a spiral. He keeps coming back again and again and again and again to the main point, which the main point of 1 John, obey Christ, love his people. This is it. So he's going to keep coming back to this. So let's yeah, drill down just a little bit in chapter 4. And uh, well, first the last part there of chapter Three. I want to reiterate that we can't do this, we can't love like this unless we belong to God, unless we have open hands before Him in prayer, unless we are receiving His Spirit to have His way in our lives. To love like this is an overflow of Psalm 117, rightly understood. Praise God. It means I'm enjoying God so much that what God is doing in my heart spills out onto the body of Christ. Right? I, this, may be the best, this may be the best sermon of the series because <laughs> it's undeniable. You cannot not make this argument. To understand Psalm 117, right? means to enjoy God, and we enjoy God so much, we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, that we can love the unlovable sometimes, right? Man, there, there are some unlovable people in the church. I've met a lot of them. <laughs> but I'm called to love them. And I know there's a lot of people that think I'm unlovable. I irritate a lot of people. Trust me, I hear from them. <laughs> I hear it tell you a lot of people. But some bear up and love me anyway. Listen, I want to let me let me read this to you first. First uh, John three twenty three, very important. And this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. So believing and loving, it's almost synonymous here. If you really believe, you really love. If you really believe he's the Christ, you will love one another as he's commanded it, right? Do you see it? It's almost a synonymous thing. You can't believe and not love. You can't do it. It's, 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 it's an oxymoron. So, do you believe? If you really believe, you will be loving. Let's look at 1 John 4, 7 real quick. Beloved. Let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Verse 8, the one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. So I'll ask you, do you know God? Don't tell me you do, if you're not loving the body. God says, don't tell me you love me. 
Don't tell anyone else you love me if you don't love the body. Verse, chapter 4, 11 and 12. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has beheld God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. <laughs> if we love one another, God abides in us. So what's the converse? If we don't love one another, God does not abide in us. We are not born again. We are just religious people. That's what is being said. Look at 4.16. And we have come to know that we have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. We are to abide in love. And if we abide in love, we abide in God. Did you notice verse 16 also says, we have come to know and have believed. Again, there it is. Believing and loving. Almost synonymous. You can't separate them. They're inseparable here. If you really believe, you really do love. You really do love God. And you really do love God, and you can't help but love God's people, even the unlovable ones, even me, right? Even the most irritating ones. Got to love 1 John chapter 4, 19 to 21. Listen. Listen to this. We love because He first loved us. Amen? Yeah. Verse 20, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's what? Someone tell me from the text. He's what? He's mistaken. No. What? He's a liar. He's a liar. This is, these are God's words. You're a liar if you say you love God, but you do not love the body. You're a liar. This is what God says. For the one who does not love his brother whom he, has not, whom, whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Verse 21, and this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. You know, really this should be part of. This should be part of counseling about someone coming to Christ. This, this really should be, I think I'm going to have to change a little bit or add this in, right? You really want to come to Christ? Well, you've got to love me, man. <laughs> and I can be like one of the most annoying people ever. So I could really, isn't that right, Miles? I mean, Miles and I'll spend some time talking. You know how annoying I can be. Hey, hey can you love me when I'm annoying? Can you do it? That's the call. That's the call. It's what a real Christian looks like. Now, churchgoers, it doesn't matter if they love anybody or not. But those people who say they know him and they love him, this is non-negotiable. You're to love his people fiercely. This is what the Word of God says. And well, let me, last, last few verses here. Chapter 5, 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. We'll, this will be the last, last few verses and we'll be done. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and whoever loves the Father, what? 
loves the child born of him, loves the born-again believer. If he loves God, he loves the children of God, right? Verse 2, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. Man, it's almost like all one big thing, right? Loving God is obedience and love for the brethren. It's like, it's like, one, it's like one thing. It's not like three things. It's like one thing. At least in the way that John writes, it's all wrapped up. It's indivisible. It's inseparable. It's like night follows day. I profess to love Jesus Christ. Therefore, I love Shabomi. You know? I, yeah, he's annoying sometimes. As Chine Lo well knows. But he, he's quite lovable. He's got that great smile. If I had his smile, I'd be a mega pastor. If I had that smile, there'd be a thousand people in here, right? Maybe not in here, but. um, Don't pretend you have a love affair with Christ if you don't love the body, because you don't. God said it. I didn't say it. You're a liar. You're a liar. Hey, I got to tell you, I got convicted this week, okay? I hope you're convicted. I got convicted. I got miles to go. I've got miles to go. I hope you're a little bit under conviction because your pastor is a little bit under conviction. Loving the brethren is the overflow and outworking of the sacred romance. It flows out of loving God. Your love for the brethren is a crystal clear reflection of your love for God. So here's what I want to do. Okay, you all have your spiritual disciplines, right? You read, you study, you meditate, you memorize scripture, you fast, you pray, you worship, you give. You have all of these spiritual disciplines. Well, here's another one. If you're not proactively doing this, love the brethren, right? Love the brethren. Practice it just like you do the other spiritual disciplines. Be proactive. Plan it. Do it, right? Don't be ambivalent about this. Be proactive about it. Be proactive about it. Jesus says we are to love one another as he has loved us in deed and in truth. It will be an expensive love. It will be a fierce love. And I'm just going to close with this. You guys know 1 Corinthians 3, uh, pardon me, 1 Corinthians 13, 7. The kind of love God's talking about it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, and it never fails. This is the kind of love that God has called His people to. To love Him supremely, to love Him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our brother and our sister even as the Son of God has loved me. If you are not humbled and convicted, you have not understood a word I've said. Because I'm pretty sure you're like me. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure you haven't arrived either. I'm pretty sure you haven't. And when I studied this week, I realized I have not. I have a, I have a long way to go. And I hope the Holy Spirit is saying the same thing to you. And I hope you're hearing him.
And I hope you will obey him and submit to him and become proactive in these things, right? This is the word of God. This is the word of God. Let's pray together.